0: Thank you, Don. I see your mama's here to cheer you on. How are you, Lois? It's good to be back in Kentucky, isn't it? She, she's up there in Indiana, which is always on top of Kentucky, but that's just part of life, you know. Today is an exciting day for me. Not only is Peggy a day older, this is one of the most powerful passages that I can talk about. I've really prayed through this, I've walked through it, I've dealt with it, I've been awake at night dealing with my own life in it, and I just hope, and I've asked God to please not only open my mouth to teach, but open our ears spiritually to hear. If there's anything that's needed in the church, and I'm not talking about just our church, this church, in the Church of America today, it's a genuine, Repentance, of turning from our sinful ways to God, understanding who we are. I've really apologized to the Lord over the last few days for how much I've taken for granted what Jesus did for me on the cross. Intellectually I know it, spiritually I know it, but so many days I just don't grasp it. It's such a privilege to know that God has chosen me, and I hope He's chosen you, to be a part of His forever family. It's such an honor that God would allow us to be born or to come to this nation and to be able to experience the joy of the freedom of religion. It's so special to know and to stop and to think of what Jesus gave up to come and to live among us and to die for me. think that He knew who I would be, what I would be. He knew every sin that I would commit, but yet He came and He died. He shed His precious blood that I might be a part of God's forever family. If we would stop and just evaluate our lives in light of who He is and the fact that He lives in us through the Holy Spirit. I believe it would make a world of difference in us. He left us an example to be like He is. What a responsibility. What a responsibility for us to carry the name Christian. What a responsibility to go into the community, into the furthest parts of the world we may ever go, and carry the name Christian with us. As parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, what a tremendous, tremendous responsibility to know that God has given us those precious lives for us to be Jesus to them. This passage on the temple and this passage on the widow should cause us to really think through how much we love and thank God for what He's done for us. I ask you to pray with me today as I preach that I can really get out of the way. I have such a desire to see each one of you totally free from anything in your life that would keep you from having perfect fellowship with God and us with each other, that it's hard for me to stay out of the way and just let Him say what He wants to say. This is powerful, folks. It's not me. This is what God's Word says. It is challenging to the heart. It is earth-shaking to me, and I hope to you. We're not looking at a God who just looks at our sin and winks at it, says, well, after all, it's 2019, and this is the way life is. This is a God who looks at us throughout eternity, past and future, and says, this is what I expect out of you as one of my children. It's awesome to realize the responsibility that God has given us. And then I think of me. Why in the world would God have called me to be a preacher? Why would God have called me Unworthy, the person that I am, the person that I know I could be, had he not saved me. But yet, for some reason, he took that little premature baby, saw to it that that little baby lived, saw to it that that little baby grew, and knew that he could never stand in front of people and talk, and he He's going to do anything. He's going to have to understand that it's only through me that He can do it. And He called me. And He's let me live all these years, and I'm telling you, you all may think I'm crazy, but I'm like Caleb. I can't lift and do the things that Caleb did when he is 80, but I have more energy, more excitement about living and preaching today than I've ever had. And I don't know whether it's because of the day that we live that I'm so eager to see people come to know Jesus and to live for Jesus. But it's so exciting that God has let me live all these years and still lets me pastor a church. And then to look at these two passages and ask myself, how could God use me? Father, I've asked you, and I pray this congregation is praying with me today, that I will let you speak. Lord, you know that I can talk and talk and talk and still talk. But Lord, today I just feel in my spirit that you want to speak yourself with few words of commentary. And I pray that you'll put your holy angels around this building. Those demonic angels that are out there, Lord, that would love to get in here and destroy this congregation, that you'll hold them at bay from us today. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit who lives in us today will be free, free to speak to us. And Father, we'll know it's not Tony Carson saying something. We'll know that it's you speaking to our heart today. And Father, I pray that this day will cause us to look back as years go by to May the 5th, 2019, and say that was the day that revival came to First Baptist Church, Sonora, Kentucky, in this 21st century and that you will use this church to change the world. Father, we're little like Israel was. There would be no reason for you to choose us except by your grace. There's churches that we wouldn't even fit into the choir, or the choir would hold us, and there'd be time for two or three of our numbers that come to sit in that choir. Lord, there's classrooms that we wouldn't even fill up in some big churches. But Father... You don't always use the biggest. You don't always use the greatest name. But you use whom you choose. And I ask you, would you choose us in Jesus' name? The first part of this message, and you see I've entitled it, cleaning and giving, because it has to do with the cleaning of the temple, and it has to do with the widow's giving. So I thought I'd just use those two thoughts with us today. And as we think of it, we're going to study, as I've already said, two of the most powerful stories in the whole Bible. And, and I'm sure that I can say this for you, because it is for me, it's a tremendous lesson for us, each one of them are, to ask ourselves, where are we with Jesus in these things? And as Brother Don pointed out in our prayer time this morning, that this study of the lady, the, the widow, this is the last public time that Jesus taught. And think about that. The last public time that He taught, He talked about our responsibility of our stewardship. Isn't that amazing that that's what He'd do? But I want to begin with the temple. Look what it says, Mark 11 uh, verses 15 through 19. Mark 11:15 15 through 19. And what I'm going to do, if you all allow me to do that, I'm going to break these up as we talk about cleansing the temple. And instead of reading all the verses at once, I'll read part of them, then part of them, then part of them. I think I have three times I'll read from them, and then we can be excited, maybe just two in this particular point. But look what it says in verses 15 through 17. It says, when They arrived back in Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and He stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scripture declares, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now I want you to think about this. If you can just picture it here's the temple here's people doing what they've done all the time and here comes this man that some didn't want around some rejected some were looking for for something in his life to kill him and he walks into that temple and he takes him makes him a whip, and he begins to clean the place out i think that you would say that he had hot anger at that time wouldn't you he was angry with what was going on it was righteous anger but it was hot anger and i just wonder how much hot anger god has toward me at times and i wonder how much anger god has at you at certain times as well just stop and think about it look back look if you would over first corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20 first corinthians 6 at 19 and 20 because it's going to tell us something that we don't want to miss, because when we talk about the temple, because this is what we need to deal with today. The old temple is gone. That one in Jerusalem is there no longer. You all who are in Bible prophecy know how important the new temple is going to be, don't you? There's going to be one built there, again, someday on that holy mountain. And as you know, the dome of of the uh, the. the Muslims have their big mosque there in that Golden Dome, and there's still debate over it, isn't there? Where and when will that uh, temple be rebuilt? But that temple that Jesus cleaned out is long gone, but He left something for us. And Paul tells us about it in these two verses. He says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price so you must honor God with your body. So where's the temple today? I'm the temple. You who are saved are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple that God wants to be clean. We are the temple that Jesus would get that hot anger after if he saw when he sees what's going on in this temple that he bought with his own blood on cross of Calvary. Look at verses, if you would, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18, 16 through 18. Listen to what Paul said to us in Second Corinthians 6, verses 16 through 18. And let me just share something with you. There's some powerful, powerful things that Paul says about the church and about us in, in his letters to the Corinthians. But look what he says here in Second Corinthians. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty, what I want us to get a picture of, if each one of us will do it today, and I want us to carry it home with us. I want us to think about it as we think about what it means to be a part of God's forever family, because you see, Nehemiah, something happened there that we want to look at today, too, that goes along with this temple business. In Matthew, in Nehemiah 13:18. Nehemiah 13, 18, the Bible says, wasn't it just this sort of thing that your ancestor did that caused our God to bring all the trouble upon us in the city? What was it? It was their sin of, of, of doing business on a Sunday, wasn't it? They brought their stuff in on Saturday. They brought their stuff in on the Sabbath day and they sold it and they weren't supposed to do it. And Nehemiah said, We're putting an end to that. It's not going to happen anymore. Now you are bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. Church, I want to ask us something. With us, me and you, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, what are we bringing up on God's church? by the way we live, by the things that we do, because we bring this into our lives, the temple, everything that we do involves God into it. Every attitude that I have, every sin that I commit, every evil thought that I have, all of these things, we're bringing shame upon Jesus Christ, and that's why He said if we'll confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, it's easy for me to look at your sin or your sin. It's easy for you to look at my sin or somebody Else's sin. But folks, we need to look into our lives individually, and we need to ask ourselves, is God pleased with what's going on in this temple, how I'm using this temple to bring honor and glory, or not to bring honor and glory to Him? Because if we're not glorifying Him through it, then we're bringing shame to Him through it. Now, all of us have sin. All of us have thoughts, if we have nothing else, that we know that we should not have, we should not let them light in our life, we should not think them through. And instantaneously, when those things hit our minds, we need to turn right then to Jesus, and we need to say to God, Father, You know I don't need this thought. Clear my mind of this thought. This is a sinful thought. Acknowledge it. Confess it, and He'll take care of it instantaneously. And we live that way, and that's the only way that we can keep the temple clean. God, I did this. It was wrong. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, because what I just did was sinful, and it brought dishonor to you. And please don't live in sin. Please don't do those things that you know are sinful and just go on and on and on and on because God is not happy with them. And we sure don't want the anger of the Lord, the wrath of God coming down on us. Read John chapter 3, the last verse he talks about the wrath. In verse 19 or 18 he talks about the wrath of God. We're always talking about God being the God of love, and He is, but He's God of other things as well. We need to recognize that, or Jeremiah 10.10, listen to what it says in Jeremiah 10.10, But the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting God. The whole earth trembles at His anger. The nations cannot stand up to His wrath. He is a God of wrath. We need to understand that. God hates sin. He hates it with a passion. I want you to think about this. God, the Bible tells us, read it for yourself in John chapter 3, verse 18, I'm not turning there, but it says, a lost person, the wrath of God abides on that individual right now. Think about that. The wrath of God abides on the lost person right now, not after they're dead and gone. Sure, if they don't come to Jesus, they'll spend an eternity in hell. We all know that. But the wrath of God abides on the sinner Right now, that is a terrible thought when you stop and think about it. And then you see Jesus doing this for the temple. Anger can be done in a lot of ways. And then in Romans chapter two, Romans chapter two, verse eight, the Bible says what he's. This is This, this just really gets me. I hope it. I hope. I just hope God will take your heart like He has mine. He says, but He will pour out His anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. Think about it, church. That's not your preacher up here talking to you today. That's what God's holy word says. It's Him speaking. Yes, He's using me as an instrument to remind you of. It is a terrible, terrible thing to stand before God and know that the the vengeance that He will bring on us for the sinfulness of our lives. We need to recognize that. Churches across America today, we need to repent. We need to turn our lives to God. We need to look inside each other, or inside ourselves, each of us. We need to let the Holy Spirit move in our lives. We need to get on our face before God, whether you can literally do it or figuratively do it, and ask Him, Holy Spirit, bring things. You know, when I, God has brought things up to me, it was in my life, years ago, and I've had to tell him, Lord, thank you for bringing that to me today because I want to confess that that was wrong, that was sinful, that thing, if I have dwelt on it over these years, has kept me from experiencing the fullness of what you have for me. He is a God who does not put up with the sinfulness of man. Remember that. I don't care if we belong to a Baptist church, if we believe in eternal security. Listen, eternal security does not give us the right to sin. Please, everybody hear that. Eternal security does not give us the right to sin. Eternal security reminds us of how much we ought to give our hearts and our lives to the Lord. But look, then we go back we got through those verses where he had that hot anger and what did the people do when they heard the message what did they do when they saw him they got mad at him they wanted to kill him what happens to the preacher look at paul they stoned him they thought they'd killed him didn't they When the messenger brings the message, when that message hits us head on, a lot of people don't want to hear it. So who do they get mad at? It's like the lady in Jenkins 40, 30-some years ago when I went to the deacon's meeting on a Monday night or whatever night it was after Sunday morning. And one of the deacons said, you you made so-and-so mad because you called her a thief. I said, what in the world did you mean I called her a thief? I didn't say anything to her. Well, you said if you didn't tithe, you were a thief. I said, I didn't say that. I read that out of the Bible. And I'll read it again today. That's not my saying. Don't get them mad at me because of what God's Word says. Amen? But that's what we do. Look what it says here in verses 18, uh, 18 and 19. It says, When the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. So what did Jesus do? He, that evening, he and his disciples left the city. They got mad because of the messenger, because of the truth, didn't they? How many times do people get mad at the messenger because of the truth? Folks, I want to tell you something. When you get to my age, you realize life isn't very long. If you haven't figured that out yet, you know, I kiddingly say, they let me go with the senior adults. It ain't going to be long I'm going to be the oldest senior adult the rate things are going But I want you to know one thing, that I know what it's like that life is coming and getting shorter all the time. I know that I've been to the top of the mountain, and I know I'm on the downhill side. I just don't know how far yet. But what I do know is God's Word never changes. And I'm more burning to tell the truth. I've always done that. But I want to make sure that I don't miss it. Because we're living in an age of where the people do anything and everything. There's no guilt on the part of anybody anymore. Did y'all notice that? There's no guilt. It's not just out here in the world. It's in the church as well. It doesn't seem like we have any fear of God anymore. Lord, do do you all understand that God is an awesome God, He's a sovereign God, He's a loving God, but God doesn't put up with sin. Lord, have mercy. Doesn't it bother you when you sin? Don't you have a, a conviction that I shouldn't be doing it? I don't care what it is. I'm not talking about big sin versus little sin. I'm talking about sin. Folks, sin is what put Jesus on the cross. My sin and your sin, doesn't it bother you when you sin? Think about it. What kind of sin is it? I don't know. You. That's why I'm telling you, you deal with God what's sin in your life. I'll deal with what's sin in my life. But folks, I want to tell you something. I can do a sin that the public understands it's a sin. You can do a sin that the public sees that it's sin. Some things I do, only God knows. But He knows, and let me tell you something, that's enough for Him to know it. He's an awesome God. Don't shoot the messenger. Be like David. How many of you remember when Nathan went to David? If you don't remember, I'm going to tell you right now. David did what he shouldn't have done. David was supposed to be with his troops out for battle, but David decided he's going to stay home. You know what happened, don't you, Danny? He stayed home and he started looking around. Anybody have any idea what he saw? He saw a beautiful lady down there taking a bath. Instead of going back in where he belonged, he lingered, didn't he? He lingered so long, the more he looked at her, the more he wanted her. And he told them, go get her, I want that. They said, he's married to another man, one of your top-notch soldiers that's out there fighting while you're home violating what you ought to do. David didn't care, he wanted her. He got her. He got her pregnant. He had her husband killed. Other people died as a result of what he did. When he got her pregnant, he wanted to cover it up. That's why he brought Uriah home, wasn't it? He wanted him to sleep with her so everybody would think it was his child. That little baby died. You all remember the story. But let me share something with you. There was an eternal consequence to what David did. And I'm not preaching that whole sermon, but I want to tell you something. God wasn't happy with it then and God isn't happy with it today. God's judgment doesn't always come down in our timing, but when it does, it is judgment, and we know it. You're saved if you're saved. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I ask myself this question, I'm not even going to stick my hand toward you. Am I Glorifying my God in the temple that He's given me. And don't look at somebody else's sin and say, well, you know what preacher up there? He's got some sin in his life. I'm going to tell you I sure do. So you don't have to tell God that. He already knows it. And I'm going to let you in a little secret. Whatever my sin may be is not going to justify your sin. Always remember that. And your sin is not going to justify my sin. We're all going to stand before the Lord, and He's going to give us our just reward for what our life is and has been. Okay, that's point one. Number two, an abundant gift. An abundant gift. We're going to talk about a lady today, and I think it's one of the most exciting little old stories that you'll ever read. It's about a woman, and let me read the verses to you. It's in chapter 12, verses 41 through 44 of Mark. Chapter 12, 41 through 44, I want you to get this. I haven't tried this yet, I, of course we give our money through every way except in a worship service. Y'all you know, you all know what the, worship hour, what the worship time is for giving? It's a time of worship. It's not a two or three minute break in the service. We worship God by our giving. Now as Baptists we've learned to do it every way under the sun except to do it uh, as a group. We walk into our Sunday school class and we take our offering envelope and we throw it down on the desk or we do whatever we do. It's a time of worship. It's a time of of thinking. God has been good to me this week. Let me share something, Carolyn. Sometimes God gives us a little bit extra money. You know what? Sometimes somebody will say, here, preacher, here's this. That's always good. Guess what? they hand us a little extra money. What do you do with that? You spend it, but who gets the first part of it? Who gets the first part of it? God gets the first part of it. If somebody hands me a $20 bill when they walk out of the church, and that's happened occasionally, I know that when I write that tithe check next week that at least $2 more will be on that tithe check than there was the week before, because God has increased my my income. When Peggy's aunt died, she left Peggy a little bit of money. Guess what? Where did the first part of that money go? For a new car? For recreation? For a vacation? To go out here and buy something I can look at and tell everybody, I own that? No. The first part of that money went where it ought to have gone. In the offering here at First Baptist Church of Sonora, Kentucky, that 10% or more of it at least went into that, at least 10% came directly into the church because it was God's. He said, I'll keep it. The Bible says, let me just read this to you again. Jesus, I don't know whether i read it yet or not, but I'm going to get it now. Jesus sat down near the collection box. That's where I got carried away a while ago, wasn't it? He sat down near the, close to the collection box. He watched what everybody gave. Can you imagine that, Ann? The preacher seeing what you gave. Oh, Lord, don't let nobody see them offering envelopes. It is so terrible for somebody to see what you give. Listen, I preached a revival of the black church, and they had listed in the bulletin everything everybody gave the week before. How many of you vote for that? Why are we afraid for somebody to see what we give? Well, it's nobody's business. I agree with you, but why are we ashamed of it? If I'm doing what I ought to do, am I ashamed for anybody to know? I don't think we ought to brag on it. By the way, I don't know what you give. Don't care, Well, I do care what you give if you're robbing God, but I don't care what you give as far as me knowing. But I do know this statistically, and you can study it and find out yourself, if every Christian would tithe, we, we could win this world. We could send missionaries everywhere, double up, triple up, quadruple the number of missionaries that we got on the field. If we just give God back His money, His, not ours. Now listen what it says. Where am I here? Uh, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowd dropped in their money. Now look at this next part of this verse. But many rich people put in large amounts. Preacher, so-and-so's coming. This happened to me in a church. So-and-so's coming Sunday, last Sunday of the year. Now he always puts in a big check. We're going to let him take the offering today. Oh, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) He puts in a big check. (laughs) We're going to let him take the offering. That little old widow that lived down there, close to 7-Eleven, Liz Polston, she didn't have a big income, she wasn't rich, she took in earnings to live on. I still see it, as plain as if it happened right now, that one night when I went to visit her in that late in the afternoon, and she said, Preacher, will you take my tithe to the church off the off earnings the that I've done? And, She handed me the smaller envelope, you know, not the big. It was stuffed with some bills and change. I can still see her. I got out to the car, and I was talking to her. She walked out on the porch, and I'm talking to her, and she said, Oh, Brother Carson, I forgot, I forgot. So-and-so picked up their ironing today, and I didn't put my tithe in there. Would you wait till I get it? Now, I want to ask you all, who was God more pleased with? Her, the strutter that came in once a year. So everybody can see that I put in my big check today. Y'all be so thankful that I showed up with my big check today. Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Does that grab you? Does that grab you and how God has blessed you? Think of God's plan. If I can do this, I want you to look. Some of you in the back, I hope you've got good eyes. Because if you don't, you're not really going to see what I'm going to show you. I think i got ten pennies here. Here's what God gives you out of the ten pennies. It won't lay up there. And here's the, what we give Him. That ain't too bad a deal, is it? You all see it? Stack that high. That one little penny. God says, Tony, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you and Peggy, I'm going to give to you, and I, what I want you to do is show how much you love me by just giving me back one penny out of every dollar, I mean one penny out of every dime, 10 cents out of every dollar. That'll tell the world I'll use you. Well, believe it or not, I already had this sermon ready, and I called my ophthalmologist up in Louisville to tell him that trying to get back in contacts was not, not contact with him and contact lenses wasn't going to work because I can't read out of this left eye, I can't see at a distance, you know, corrected, so I have stained glasses. Hey, Tony, I want to tell you something. I said, Terry, well, first of all, I said, Terry, I don't need to come back and see you Thursday because I can't get in contacts, that's good. I want to tell you something. He said, I was watching Charles Stanley. I got to tell you something about giving. He said, I saw him and he talked about taking 10 pennies and laying them down and putting a penny there. Well, what he didn't know, I'd already heard the sermon too. But anyway, I never told him I didn't say, Terry, I'd already heard it. He said, "You know now I want y'all to listen to me." He said, "You know, Tony, it's not hard to give that penny out of a dime. It's not hard to give that dime out of a dollar. But buddy, when you make 3,000 dollars a week, it's hard to give that 300." Think about it, folks. If God blessed you with an income of $100,000 a year, how much should you give the Lord? $10,000. If you don't give Him $10,000, you're robbing Him. That's what He said. Let me read you from Malachi. This is important. There's three things, and I'm going to close. Is that all right with all of you? I've got one or two more verses after this, but I just want to give you an outline of Malachi. I'm just going to give you three points. I'm not going to preach on them, believe it or not. I'm going to hurry through here, J.R. and Judy. I've got it going here. There's three things that he says to us here, and I want you to listen to them, because these are so important from Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. You go home and you read it, and you let God speak to you. He asks the question in verse 8. He says, will a man rob God? Listen to what he says. You have robbed me. You've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? I want you to get this, because we talk about the tithe. He said, in tithes, what? And offerings. So the tithe is the beginning. That's not the end. You have robbed me in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. That's powerful. Then he says, listen to this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, now what would be the storehouse today in the New Testament? The church. You don't take your tithe and say, well, Joe over here, he's out of water, or he's out of heat and oil, so I'm going to go buy his heat and oil, I'll spend part of my tithe there. Susie over here needs food, so I'll use part of my tithe there. That's not your prerogative. It's like my mother. She was out of church, and she told me where she sent her tithe. What do you think I told my mom? Oh, Mom, you're so blessed that you'd send that amount of money to to that ministry every month. I said, Mom, do you realize you're not sending your tithe to Him? Your tithe goes to your church. Where's your membership? If you're not going, your tithe goes to the church. You might send Him equal amount, but you're not sending your tithe to Him. You can't send your tithe to Him because it belongs to God, and God told us where to put it. Can I get amen from about 110 people? He says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now look what he says. These are three things I want to leave you with. He says, and try me. Test me, he says. Try me. Do it. See what happens. Try me. Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open open for you the windows of heaven, and do what? Pour out for you such a blessing. If you do it, I'm going to pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. Try me, and you're going to see how i bless you. And then he says, if you don't do it, then we're going to pay something. Because he says, if you do it, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And you can read the rest of the chapter. Boy, it's powerful what God wants to do for us, isn't it? If we'll just be obedient. So we close. The conclusion of it is, Let me give you three points, don't have a poem on that particular point. First of all, we see the observation of Jesus, we see the affirmation of Jesus, I said three, there's two points, plus Malachi. We see the observation of Jesus, we see the affirmation. Now let me tell you something about that lady as they come to get ready to do the music. Do you realize that what she gave? She had no welfare system, she had nothing. She was in poverty. She was going to stay in poverty. She was not going to be able to have like some of us might have. But that lady had such a strong love for God that she didn't give out of her abundance. She gave everything that she had. We say, Tony, it wasn't very much. It wasn't much, but it was everything. So God said to me, Tony, I love you. I want you to be a part of my forever family. And as a little boy, went over and worked for Haywood Pemberton, picking up leaves that blown out of the pine trees or branches after a storm came through. And we got through. He gave us a dime. What do you think Mom and Dad told me? Tony, you can go use nine cents on bubble gum or whatever you want, but the penny belongs to the Lord. And I am so thankful that as a little boy, My mom and dad taught me that principle, which I've lived as a result of it. Folks, try Him. Trust Him. You see, the conclusion is simple. Joshua said it in Joshua 24, 19, warning the people because of their rebellion. He said, then Joshua warned the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. And that's turning our back on God and refusing to do what He'd have us to do. Christian, examine yourself as I examine myself. Peggy, you you examine yourself as I examine myself. I don't need to judge her. She doesn't need to judge me. But He has every right to judge all of us. Our hymn of invitation and response, Trust and Obey, 447. If you'll do that, You will be a victorious Christian, and there's no telling what God will do with this church family if every one of us will get our lives right with Him where He can use us. Let's stand, let's sing, and let's come. If you want to come down here and just say to me, Tony, that's what I want, pray with me, keep me in your prayers, I'll do it. If you'll just be willing to come and ask me to do it, that you can walk where Jesus would have you walk.